0: Well, it's preaching time, Job, turn over to the book of job. Some of y'all got real nervous and thought I was said job. Job, chapter thirteen. When you find your place, you can stand or when you can't find it, but it took you long enough where you should have found it, you can stand. Job chapter. 13, if you're there, say amen. amen. I have preached from this verse five or six years ago. I preached from it back in 2009. and this verse, this verse became real to me. I may, if the Lord gives me liberty, I may share a little bit of a personal story at the end of the message if the Lord leads me to, but this is a good verse. To underline in your Bible. Job chapter 13, verse number 15. This is Job talking, y'all. Here's what he said Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. I want to preach tonight on that thought. I will maintain my ways. Lord, we need you to touch tonight. Help us, I pray. Give us liberty and power and may God's people be encouraged and strengthened from the word of God tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not going to take the time to do a very thorough uh, introduction into this message because I, I really want to get through it. I'm taking my wife out of town tonight for our anniversary, which was yesterday. And we're celebrating it tomorrow. Tomorrow. And um, I really want to get on that trip, so. Uh, uh. But Job, you know the story of Job. Job chapter number one. If you ever think you're having a bad day, I don't care what kind of day you're having, if you want a mental reset, stop and read Job chapter number one, okay? And then you will fall down on your face and thank God for having such a wonderful day. But I, I imagine that Job chapter number one has to fall somewhere in the category of the worst days of a man's life recorded in the Scripture, I mean it's got to be in the top three. And uh, and we get to we get to Job chapter thirteen. Job is sitting in a pile of ashes. He's got boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He's lost everything he had. He's lost his crops. He's lost his all of his his, his animals. He's lost all of his his children. He's lost. Uh, Everything He's sitting there scraping the boils with broken pieces of pottery. Three of his friends show up, stare at him, stare at him for seven days without saying a word. Job finally began to speak, and this book, the Book of Job, if you really want to understand the book of Job, read the whole thing through at one sitting, okay? Don't grab verses out like we're doing tonight, but read the whole story if you really want to get it. But we get to chapter number 13, Job's making a statement here. And this whole book is a conversation between Job and his three friends. And I love the way the story ends. If you like a good, wonderful, glorious, happy, thrilling ending to a really bad story, read the first chapter of Job and read the last chapter of Job. Amen. But we get to chapter 13 and Job makes a statement in verse number 15 that God used back in 2009 In a very personal way, I guess I could say change, alter my relationship with God to the better. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. I want to give you three points tonight, and let's just look at that thought about I will maintain mine own ways before him. I want to look first of all at the clarification. You could say the context. You could uh, Say the context, but the clarification really of the word maintain. This this word is an interesting word, both in the English as well as in the Hebrew. It is a very deep word. It's got multiple layers of meaning. Unlike a lot of words in the English language, the word maintain here is a it's a it's a it's loaded with meaning and it's loaded with depth. It's not a word that Job used lightly, I don't believe. I looked the word up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and if you ever want to understand what a word is in English in your Bible, I would encourage you to use Webster's 1828 Dictionary. You can buy them. You can buy a hardback online and have it on your desk, or you can go and and find it online and just save it. And bookmark it on your computer when you're studying your Bible if you want to do it that way. But the Webster's 1828 Dictionary is a rare dictionary in that most of the definitions in the dictionary have Bible verses out beside the, defi- the, 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 the definitions. Which makes uh, studying the Bible and studying the word in English just so exciting. It's almost like that a built-in cross-reference system. But the word maintain in Job 15 verse uh, 13, verse number 15... It literally means, well, I got seven different definitions. It means to hold or to preserve or to keep in a particular state or condition, to support, to sustain, not to suffer, to fail or decline, as in to maintain a certain degree or temperature in a room with an air conditioner or a furnace. You can maintain a certain degree. Uh, You can maintain the fertility of your soil by fertilizing it and things of that nature. Uh, Also on a personal level, you can maintain your character or your reputation. So that word means to hold, to preserve, or to keep in a particular state. It also means uh, to hold or to keep or not to lose or to surrender. Uh, A military would say to maintain a post, uh, a a position or a place or a post of service in the military. Uh, It also means to continue. Not to suffer to cease as in maintaining a conversation. That means somebody's continually talking. Nobody stops. You're maintaining that conversation. It means to just to, to not to allow it to stop. It also means to keep up or to uphold or to support. Uh such as maintaining a piece of equipment or maintaining a vehicle, keeping it up. It also means to support with food, clothing and other conveniences as in maintaining a family with a job, maintaining uh, a family with a trade or labor. It also means to support by intellectual powers or by force of reason as in to maintain an argument. Words used a lot of different ways in the English. It also means to support or to defend or to vindicate or to justify or to prove to be just. For example, as to maintain one's right or one's cause, okay? So there's just the English usages of that word maintain. When you get over to the Hebrew word that is used in Job chapter 13, verse number 15, the word maintain is the Hebrew word yalkah. And it means to decide, to reprove, to rebuke, to correct, to be right, to decide, to judge, to show to be right, to prove, or to be chastened. And that's a lot of different words in the English for that one Hebrew word that Job uses in our text. If you take what we understand the English word to mean, and the Hebrew breakdowns of this word, we could say this. We could say this. I typed it all out so I could visualize the context of this word maintained in this verse. We could say that it speaks of a continual calibration. To constantly to decide or to reprove according to the definition. It word speaks of a continual criticism. Continually criticizing. It could speak of a continual correction. Constantly correcting, which is what your GPS would do if you were to take the wrong road. It would automatically start recalibrating and recorrecting to get you back on the right path. That word also speaks of a continual confirmation. According to the Hebrew, it means to show, to be right or to judge, to be right. So we could say this word maintain means it speaks of a continual confirmation, constantly being confirmed that this is the right thing. It speaks of a continual condemnation. That word literally means to judge or to decide. Looking at the situation, making a judgment call uh, to the good or to the negative, either one. It also speaks of a continual chastisement, to chasten. So you get the idea. It's a very deep word. It's a very strong word. When Job said, I will maintain my own way before the Lord, there was a whole lot in that statement. I want to say this tonight, that if you're going to have a good, healthy, solid relationship with God, you and I are going to need to learn how to maintain yes. our ways yes. before the Lord. There's not a day in mine in your life where we can take the day off spiritually. Right. There's not a day when we can put our spiritual life on autopilot and close our eyes and lean our seat back and go to sleep. They've got these self-driving cars, okay? No, thank you. Not in this town. I'm good, thank you. I don't even trust myself in this town to get home alive. I sure ain't gonna lean my seat back and go to sleep and trust my car to get me where I'm going. But we've got a lot of Christians that have their spiritual walk with God on autopilot. There's a constant there's a constant checking and changing and a tweaking and a critiquing and, 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 and calibrating our spiritual walk with God. And I'm not talking about once a year during revival. And I'm not talking about a couple times a year during special meetings. I'm talking about every day, all day long. If you and I are going to maintain a healthy relationship with God, we need to be so in tune with Him that every step we take, can I say it? Every step, he said, walk in the spirit, did he not? Well, what is walking in the spirit? It is a, it is a series of steps. David said, there's one step between me and death. One, one mistake, one bad choice, one bad decision, one careless moment, you and I can find ourselves in a life altering disaster spiritually. David walked out on that balcony that day after taking a nap. Come on. I'm confident when he walked out there, he was out there just enjoying the weather, enjoying the breeze, looked over there, saw Bathsheba bathing, and his whole world got turned upside down. The devil specializes in landmines. Yeah. Booby traps from hell. I preached a message years ago on booby traps from hell. Ephesians chapter number six said uh, to stand against the wiles. Look that word up when you get home. W-I-L-E-S. Wiles. It is a trap. It is a secret device like what they used in Vietnam to not only inflict a lot of pain and a lot of of, of injury, but it created an unbelievable psychological effect on those soldiers just knowing that the woods and the jungles were filled with these devices, these booby traps created so much fear and so much anxiety that many men never got over even when they got home. I gotta tell you something, the devil ain't playing. We got a lot of church members that are playing, but the devil's not playing. The devil is all in. He's all in on destroying you. He's all in on destroying your marriage. He's all in on destroying your children. He's all in on destroying your pastor. He's all in on destroying this church. He's all in. And if you and I are going to make it through this world filled with landmines and devices, we're going to have to be vigilant and sober, like 1 Peter 5, 8 says. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You can't take the day off. You can't miss your Bible reading and prayer. You can't afford to get sideways with God or sideways with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can't afford to get sideways with your parents for trying to get you to do right. You can't afford to get sideways with the man of God. We need to stay in tune with God. And we do that by maintaining. Yes, Amen. Yeah. I mean, constantly maintaining, checking, making sure we're where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing. You right. say, so, Preacher, that's nerve wracking. Yeah, it's called warfare. Right. It's called warfare. We gotta have a warfare mentality. Right. When you're on the battlefield, when you're in the hottest part of the battle, you gotta tighten up get your head in the game or you're gonna become a casualty. That's right. So Job says, I will maintain. And boy, when he said that, it was a loaded statement. But not only do we see the clarification of the word maintain or the context rather, but then we see, secondly, we see his choice to maintain. Here's what he said in verse number 15. I I will maintain three things. I want you to notice subpoints. I want you to notice they're not on the screen. You can write them down. I want you to notice three things. Number one, it was a personal choice. Job said in verse number 15, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job made a decision. Job made a choice. And it wasn't going to require anybody else to be the one constantly correcting and the one constantly critiquing and the one constantly condemning and the one constantly chastising. He said, I am going to do this to myself. You know, what we, need? we need a generation of Christians that will walk with God without having to have a support group. And we have a support group. We're not taking away the blessings and the benefits of having a church family and a pastor and having, having a Christian school and all these things, but Job didn't have any of that. Any of it. Here's what he said. I'm gonna do it to myself. I'm not gonna assign somebody or expect somebody or depend on somebody to maintain my way before God. I'm going to do it to myself. I'm going to do it to my own self. We call that, we call that owning it. I read a book years ago by Navy SEAL called Extreme Ownership. He said, the greatest day in your life is when you assume responsibility and take ownership for everything that's wrong in your life and quit blaming everybody else. But we live in a society today where people have no idea how to take responsibility. They want to blame other people for the color of their own skin. They want to blame people for the color of their skin. I'm so sick of seeing t-shirts bragging about the color of your skin like you had something to do with it. Don't die on me, y'all. Come on. I mean, the world just lives in a state of perpetual shifting the blame and passing the buck. When are we going to get to the stage in our Christian life where we say, I am responsible for my relationship with God. Nobody else is going to be the one having to maintain my relationship with God. He assumed full responsibility for his choices in his life. He would not make that become somebody else's responsibility. My daddy used to have a say and sometimes we'd be, he'd be sitting somewhere, or be standing somewhere and I'd go and I'd lean on him and he'd shrug, shrug me off and he'd say, I didn't eat your breakfast. Well, some of y'all don't know what that means, but what he meant was, I ate breakfast to hold me up. You ate breakfast to hold you up. I didn't eat your breakfast. Get on your own two feet and quit leaning on me. Right. Right. I don't care how much you read your Bible and pray. You, you and I have our hands full keeping ourselves right with Amen. God. It is an overwhelming responsibility as a parent to be responsible for your children. And we are, we have to be, but at some point they have got to learn to cultivate a relationship with God and learn to maintain their own way before the Lord. Husbands can check on their wives and know where they are spiritually and be an encouragement, be a blessing and be the priest in their home and be the spiritual leader. But there's no man alive that can maintain his own way and his wife's way if she's not on board with what's going on. We've got men here tonight whose wives are not even saved and in church. We've got ladies here tonight whose husbands are not where they ought to be with God and they're at home right now while you're here. we got our hands full maintaining our own way. Don't be that Christian that leans on somebody else to do that for you. Job said, I will. It was a personal choice. He made a decision to be completely 100% responsible for his walk with God. By the way, whether you want to admit it or not, you are too. I don't know how to tell you this, but when you get before Jesus one day at the judgment seat church, he's not going to say, okay, look around. You can bring, you can bring your, your spiritual mentor to help carry the burden of what we're fixing to do here. You're, hey, it's going to be you and Jesus. Kids, your mom and is not going to be standing beside you at the judgment seat. It's going to be you answering to, to, to God for your life. Serious, isn't it? Serious. We see it was a personal choice. Secondly, it was a practical choice. He said, I will maintain. Now here's my, here's my point, and I believe this was his point. This was his way of looking at it. If it's worth having, it's worth maintaining. If, if it's worth having, it's worth maintaining. I mean, why start if you're not going to finish? Why have it and then let it run down. Why, why, why say you're a Christian and then stop? Why start out walking with God and then sit down? Why embrace him as your Lord and master and be all in on him being the Lord and master of your life and then at some point letting go and allowing that fellowship to disintegrate? Why? If it's worth having, it's worth maintaining. Maintaining your vehicle, it's just practical. It just makes sense. Check engine light comes on, you get it fixed. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting on the side of the road. That doesn't make any sense. Maintain your house. I'm amazed to people buy a house and just let the thing fall apart. Do you realize one day you may want to sell that house? And you're not going to be able to get anything for it because it's going to be a piece of garbage. Take the time and effort to maintain it. Pressure wash it a couple times a year. Amen, Brother Bell? Where's Brother Bell? They should pressure wash their house at least four or five times a month. Man's got a pressure washing business. Get a card from him after church, and I do expect a cut. <laughs> if your roof's leaking, get it fixed. Are you going to be replacing drywall? Yeah. If you've got a plumbing leak, fix it. Are you going to be replacing your whole basement? If you sump pump, y'all get the point. If it's worth having, it's worth maintaining. It just makes sense. Amen. You got a marriage? If it's worth having. It's worth maintaining. Yes. Preacher, why are you going out of town tonight? Going out of town tomorrow with your wife? Because she's my wife. And I like her being my wife. Amen. I kind of like our, I like what we got going. I want to take a day and do a little maintenance. Amen. Amen. Is everybody okay? Now, if you need me tomorrow, call Brother leader. (laughs) If it's worth having. If it's worth having a relationship with God, it's worth maintaining it. Number number three, it was a private choice. I will maintain my own ways, watch this, before the Lord. I love this. Because he wasn't making the decision to maintain his ways to impress everybody around him. I have to assume there probably wasn't anybody around him. His friends came from a long way. He didn't have anybody sitting in the bleachers watching him live for God every day. He said, I want to maintain my ways before the Lord. He wasn't trying to put on a show. He wasn't trying to impress people with how right with God. He was. He wasn't trying to learn the vernacular and learn the lingo. He wasn't trying to learn how to dress and how to act and and how to pray in public so he could put on a show and impress his church friends or his youth group or his preacher friends or his pastor. He said, I want to do this before the Lord. I want God to look down and see that I care enough about him to maintain my way. Hey, Amen. Number three, I want you to notice the certainty of Job to maintain. What a statement. I know I'm known for making bold statements. I make bold statements. Sometimes I make too bold of a statement. Paint myself in the corner. I just don't want I don't want anybody to ever wonder where I stand on things. So I, I I'm pretty. I'm pretty Dogmatic about some things but I'm going to tell you something you can't get any more dogmatic than saying though he slay me I mean this is, this is inspired scripture Job said God can strike me dead right now and that is completely up to him but I'm going to keep trusting him and I'm going to tell you something that's strong right there that's not a Please pray for me. I'm not sure if I'm going to be living for God six months from now. No, Job says no. I, I don't. I don't know what God's going to do. Yeah, come on. Here's what Job said. I, I don't have any control over whatever. I'm reading train lines. I have no control, Brother Snipes, over whatever little deal God and Satan's cooked up in heaven yeah. involving me. I don't have any control over that. I have no control over what God's going to do. I have no control over what Satan's going to do. I have no control of whether that hedge is there or that hedge is lifted. I have no control over my crops. I have no control over my animals. In fact, he says, I don't even have any sheep to maintain I don't have any oxen to maintain I don't have any camels to maintain I don't have any asses to maintain I don't know what's going to happen to my animals I don't have any kids anymore to maintain and I can't I don't know what my wife's going to do standing over him saying, why don't you just curse God and die? And he looked at her and said, you talk like a foolish woman. He says, I don't know what anybody in this world is gonna do, but I know what I'm gonna do. I am going to maintain my way before the Lord. I know that. I don't have control over anything anybody does except me. And I know what I'm doing. Right. Amen. I'm gonna trust God. And I'm gonna tell you something. That right there is the kind of Christianity we need. Don't care who's in the White House. I don't care what laws they pass. I don't care what my boss does or what policies they implement. I don't know what my church family's going to do. I don't know what's going to happen in this world with the financial system and my retirement and my bank account. But I know this, it don't matter what happens. I am going to trust God. That is the kind of Christianity we need. That's the kind of Christianity Job had. Unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. I will maintain my own ways. Well, Job, what are your ways? Well, Job 1.1 says, there was in the land of us a man named Job, and he was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. That means avoided it. Now, that's how the story starts in Job 1.1. That was his ways. And in case you're doubting whether or not that was true, Job chapter one, verse number eight, God Almighty having a conversation with Satan said, have you considered my servant Job? For he is perfect and upright and one that fears God and eschews evil. Job says, I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna maintain my ways. I was perfect and upright and I feared God to shoot evil when this story started and I'm gonna be perfect and upright and fearing God to stew evil when this story is over and God can kill me if he wants to. I will maintain mine own ways before the Lord. That's a testimony. That's where we need to be tonight. Quit sitting on the fence and waiting to see what so and so is gonna do. Wait and see what our friends are going to do and our is going to do and see what the is going to do. I'm talking about just own it. Own your relationship with God and be all in. God showed me, that I would already printed my notes out, Brother Adrian. I printed my outline out, had it in my Bible. And it hit me. Lord have mercy, this hit me. Look at Job chapter one. Y'all got to see this. This was so awesome, I called Brother David and shared it with him. And if he preaches it, it was my idea. <laughs> Job chapter 1. Here's what, here's what Satan said to God. I believe it's in verse number 11. Here's what he said. Let me at him. Does Job serve you for naught? Here's what he said. He said, Let me stretch forth my hand against him that I may touch all that he hath. Is that what he said? Am I close? Huh? let me stretch forth my hand that I may touch all that he hath, and he will curse you to your face am I close yeah. Yeah. boy it hit me good lord have mercy it hit me you know what Job was saying in Job 13 15 oh the devil did touch me he touched everything in my life but it did not negate the touch of God in my life come on y'all The devil did stretch forth his hand, but God stretched forth his hand. The devil did touch everything I had, but so did God. How can I let what the devil touches overrule what God's touched? I'm not gonna give the glory and the honor and the praise and the win to the devil for touching my life. God also touched my life. When his wife looked at him and said, why don't you curse God and die? He said, woman. How can I receive at the hand of God all these blessings and not praise him and worship him? See, here's what we do. We like to think about all the times the devil has touched our life and forget about the times God has. Are we still in the book? And Job made this decision. He made this commitment He had this certainty. He did not have a Bible. He didn't have any of it. He was a contemporary of Abraham. He didn't have any scripture. He did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He did not have a church, a pastor, a church family. He had no camp meetings, youth conferences, revivals, he had nothing. But somewhere, I don't know where, this man had a commitment to God that is unlike anything I've ever witnessed in my life. i close with this. I have a personal illustration to share. I don't really give a lot of long illustrations, but this message, I preached this verse. I preached a form of this message, a variation of this message. Back in 2009, when I was still a pastor in Pleasant View Baptist Church in Taylor, South Carolina, this was three years before Zane was born, my wife walked in the house one day and she said, Stacy, she said, we're gonna have a baby. And I said, wow, Callie would have been six or seven years old, I reckon. We're gonna have a baby. I said, well, that's awesome. She said, let's don't, let's don't tell anybody. We had had some families, some church members have some miscarriages, and that was real strong and heavy on our mind. And then we said, well, let's just don't tell anybody, just in case. We'll just wait a few months and get past that, you know, that little crucial time period, and then we'll tell. We didn't tell the children. We didn't tell the church. We just kept that between us. My wife could probably tell this story far better than I can. My memory of some of the events is a bit sketchy, but to make a long story short, she developed some complications. She went to the doctor and determined that we had lost the baby. And we cried, she cried, I cried. It's crazy how you can love a baby that you've never seen And get attached to a little baby you've never held. I uh, tried to console my wife as much as I could. We were glad we hadn't told anybody. We were glad we hadn't told the kids. We were glad we hadn't told our church. She went back for a follow-up visit a week or two later. And the doctor did a sonogram, took some blood, did some things. And he said, something's not right. Said the quant count's supposed to go down, but it's going up. Said something's not right. We didn't really understand what all that meant, but when a doctor says something's not right, that's always a bit unnerving. So he said, let's do some tests, did some sonograms, did some, I'm talking extensive sonograms, couldn't find anything, couldn't figure out what was going on. He said, well, we'll check it again in a few weeks. If if anything happens, just go to the hospital. He said, uh, if you get to hurting real bad, just go to the hospital. Well, we were supposed to go down to South Georgia to visit my aunt. She lived in Sylvester, Georgia. We were living in Taylor, South Carolina. It was about a five-hour drive, and as it turned out, we ended up leaving on a Friday afternoon, which was a mistake. We'd drive all the way through Atlanta, Friday rush hour, it was raining. And... Driving through rush hour in the rain in the city, your shoulders just get in knots. You know how that is. You're just so tense and stressed out. By the time we got to my aunt's house, it was late. I'd say probably 9, 30, 10, maybe later. We were sitting in the living room. We were talking and just carrying on with my aunt and her husband. He was a retired fire chief at the local fire department. And I didn't see my wife and I got a text message on my phone. My wife says I'm 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 in so much pain. You gotta come over here. And she was in the restroom. I walked in the restroom, my wife's face was as gray as anything I've ever seen. She said, Stacy, I'm dying. I have never hurt so bad in all of my life. And I said, All right, well, doctor said this might happen. I said, Let's go. So I went to my aunt's husband and I said, Ronnie, we gotta get her to the we gotta get her to the hospital. He said, Well, we don't really have a very good hospital here. In Sylvester, he says, about a step above a vet. I said, well, we got to do what we got to do. So I carried her. We carried her out this vehicle. We drove her to the hospital, a little tiny hospital there in Sylvester. We're, we're going in. She's hurting so bad. She's screaming. She's crying. And, of course, I'm panicking. The doctor said, what's going on? I said, well, she's, she she had a miscarriage. The quant count wasn't going down like it's supposed to. It was going up. The doctor said if she has any kind of pain, that it could possibly be some kind of a tubal pregnancy or some kind of complication. I said, just let's start there. They just took us in a back room in the emergency room, what seemed like forever, I mean forever. Looking back now, it was a couple of hours. At night, there was nobody else there and they just took us back there and she was screaming and crying. I was holding, and I was praying and I walk out in the hall, I said, somebody gonna do something, y'all gotta do something. And they came in there and they talked and then they did what they did. And then finally they said, we don't really have the stuff here, the equipment here and the people here to help her. They said, we're going to have to put her on an ambulance and take her to Albany, which is about 30, 40 minutes up the road. I said, well, let's do this. I said, my wife's in trouble. I said, something's wrong. I said, she don't carry on like this. They put her in the ambulance and I rode back there with her. and They rushed her to the hospital, got her to Phoebe Putney Hospital in Albany, Georgia. And they got her in there and met the doctors again. And I found this out about doctors and I found this out about nurses and I found this about people in the ER. They don't like for you to tell them what's wrong with you. Even if you think you know, they don't want to hear what you've got to say. They want to start with the, you know, say, ah, oh, look in your ear and you're dying. And you're saying, well, why don't we start here anyway? So that whole process started over again. And it was on up after midnight into the early morning of the hours of the morning when I was sitting in the waiting room by myself, had no idea where she was, had no idea what was going on. I prayed, I tried to pray, Brother Caleb, but I was, be honest with you, I was tired. Have you ever just been so tired you're almost seeing double? I mean, it was, I mean, I had driven five hours through that traffic and that rain and now I'm up and and, um, so I'm in the hospital in the waiting room A doctor came in, it had to be in maybe about three, four o'clock in the morning, I can't remember. He came in, he said, your wife, he said, your wife had a tubal pregnancy and it ruptured. He said, your wife almost bled to death. And I, I said, what's going on? He said, well, you said you had a miscarriage. She had a miscarriage. He said, well, there was twins. And one was in the, the tube, and it just ruptured, and she almost bled to death. He said, we we're working as hard as we can on her, but we just wanted you to know what's going on. And then he walked out, and I'm sitting in this waiting room. If he'd be put in the hospital in Albany, Georgia, four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, there wasn't a soul. All the lights were off. There was one lamp or two on. I mean, there wasn't even somebody cleaning. It was an absolute graveyard in that waiting room. And it hit me. We had twins. We had twins and lost both of them. And I almost lost my wife. And just the reality and the weight, it just began to settle on me in my mind, in my heart. And I I distinctly remember being so tired. I just wanted to lay down and go to sleep, but I couldn't because I was crying so hard. The doctor came back in about an hour later and he said, we've got it stopped. The bleeding stopped. She's going to be okay. It's going to be a long recovery, but she's going to live. She's going to be okay. And the relief that... And I remember right before that doctor came in, Brother Hadrell, and the devil jumped upon my shoulder. Here you are trying to serve God, trying to live for God. You and your wife try to live for God and look what he's letting happen to you. But see, I had just preached this message. Literally, like the week before. And all I can tell you was, I felt so much anger and frustration, not at God, but at the devil, for trying to take advantage of me when I was so tired. And I was so discouraged. And I remember falling down on my knees and I began to pray out loud. There was nobody in that end of the hospital. I began to pray. And these verses just kept going over and over in my mind. And I said, Lord, I'm still gonna serve you. I'm still gonna trust you. If you take my wife and you take the babies, I'm still going to serve you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust in you. I will maintain my way before the Lord. I begin to talk to the devil. I say, you might as well just pack up and get out of here and go on back to where you came from because I'm going to keep serving God and I'm going to keep trusting God and I don't know what's going on and I don't have the answers, but I know one thing, God's right. God's always right. God's always been right. Me and Jesus had to come to Jesus meeting. And all I can tell you is the devil packed up and left that waiting room. And right after that's when that doctor walked in and said, your wife's gonna be okay. And we had to deal with telling our children who had no idea why mama was in the hospital. My wife was in the hospital room and I called my aunt. I said, bring the kids down here. And Marissa and Spencer and Stuart and Callie came in and gathered around. Of course, they were scared to death. All they saw was us rushing out of the house to the hospital. They didn't know what was wrong. Sit with our children and tell them. Mom and Daddy was expecting twins and they're both in heaven now. And Mom almost went to heaven, but she's gonna be okay. Brother Caleb, this verse right here has been burned into my mind More times than I can count. Church, I underline these verses. You want to know why? There are times in your Christian life when you're going to need to read these verses out loud to the devil. Amen. Amen. And I believe in this verse right here, Job was talking, not just to his friends. I don't believe he was just talking to the devil. I believe he was talking to himself. I believe this was a case where he encouraged himself in the Lord. And here's my question tonight, is your relationship with God and your fellowship with the Lord important enough for you to say, I will maintain mine own ways before the Lord, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, musicians are coming